Thanks for being with us today on this rather gray Sunday. Some rain falling outside the CKNW studios. We are going to shift gears a little bit now and talk about a meeting that was held on Friday. And this was between members of a group called Wake Up Surrey. And they met with the federal minister, Bill Blair, on Friday afternoon in Surrey. And joining us to talk a little bit more about that is Suki Sandu, an organizer with the group Wake Up Surrey. Suki, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Good morning, Jill, and uh, good morning to all of your listeners. Good morning. Maybe back up a little bit and give us a bit of background as to what led to this meeting in the first place. Uh, Jill, basically, uh, as you're well aware, we've had a a gun violence crisis and gang crisis in our cities. Uh, We've had a a number of uh, incidents over the last number of years, and I think that the boiling point was the uh, targeted shootings of a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old in early June. At that time, we uh, had the uh, Wake Up Surrey rally where thousands of parents came to City Hall and uh, in, with an undercurrent of uh, anger, protest, and also assuming responsibility. Uh, Wake Up Surrey is a parents-led movement um, because uh, always people say or, or point the finger first at parents. So we've stepped up, and uh, over the last 11 weeks, we've had over um, uh, 60 focus group meetings with various stakeholders, including levels of government, uh, nonprofit uh, organizations, uh, parents, teachers, policing authorities, uh, academics, any type of um, assistance for us to learn more about this issue, document more, and uh, as we will be preparing a report on September the 15th. What led to this meeting specifically, I guess, in the past, uh, other, um, I think, Parliamentary Secretary uh, Mark Holland uh, came to Surrey, and um, for whatever reason, if Wake Up Surrey wasn't invited, uh, one of the issues that we had raised on the stage on June the 13th was everybody needs to roll up their sleeves and step up. And that was because um, November 17th of last year, the federal government announced $326 million of funding for gun violence, and gang activity, and that announcement came in this very city. So we, we, we've raised awareness on this issue, and I guess finally the federal government, which has been missing on this issue and, and has not met with us, none of our MPs have met with us except Gordy Hogue, and he helped facilitate this meeting. And, and what was the focus of the meeting? You met with Bill Blair, who's a federal minister of border security and organized crime reduction. What did you guys talk about? We, we provided a presentation. As, as you know, uh, Jill, this is a very complex issue. So we asked for, first we were told we were only going to get a half an hour. And we said no, because we know that's a photo op. We didn't want any photo ops. We wanted substance. We also said that we wanted to meet with the minister one-on-one because our local MPs have ignored this issue have ne- and have never followed up on it, never raised the issue in the House of Commons. So we provided a presentation. We talked about the areas of concern, and we also... Uh, highlighted what some uh, key recommendations, and but the main point was the city of Surrey needs sustainable funding, a five-year plan, and we have we have recommended the city of forty million dollars over five years come to the city of Surrey. So there's no band-aid solutions. Now, after we made our press release several weeks ago for that forty million, the city has come out with thirty-two point eight million dollar uh, request in writing to the government. Um, and we, we mentioned to the minister that 
this $326 million hasn't even been passed by Treasury Board yet. The minister listened. Um, we hope this was sincere. And we also mentioned to him that uh, uh, on legislation, uh, there needs to be almost like a public inquiry of federal and provincial authorities coming together and seeing where can we improve legislation, where can we, and there needs to be an independent analysis on, on uh, how is this, this drug uh, and guns coming into our, uh, across our borders, uh, into our ports. So we ask on those specific things, an independent analysis of our borders and our ports, and uh, a stakeholder uh, group coming together uh, in, in improving legislation. He was, he's come across to us that, uh, at that meeting that he understands the, uh, what Wake Up Surrey has done, but we must also, Jill, be very frank with you. Uh, right after that meeting, uh, they what called a selective South Asian roundtable at a, at a banquet hall, and uh, the local MPs and Minister Blair for over an hour didn't make one, didn't mention once Wake Up Surrey or, or that a meeting even occurred. So there's some concern, Jill. Is this sincere? Uh, is there some substance? Uh, is there a constructive uh, attempt to um, listen to the re- residents of Surrey, or is it just a photo op? Hmm. Are you concerned as well that uh, as we head into the civic elections, uh, there is a, a lot of debate and there's a lot of attention being placed on the idea of a handgun ban in Surrey, which uh, some are in favor of it. Others saying it's not going to fix the problem. Criminals generally don't register their handguns and go through the rigorous process that's already in place. So are you concerned that the focus is perhaps not in the right area? Our, our, our objective was to create awareness. Uh, too often, the civic election in the city of Surrey has been on development and economic reasons or issues. We want it to be refocused on social issues. Um, there's a number of Meryl Hopes who have suggested many things on policing or gun control. We'll allow them to discuss that. Um, but we're glad that this has become a focal point for residents, for voters. Um, our personal views, we're, not, we're trying to stay away because we, we're, we're, we're not going to support any political party or any political representatives or candidates. Um, We just want the issue to come to the forefront. For instance, Jill, three federal liberal ministers have visited Surrey since last week. Uh, Not one mentioned the gun crisis uh, or gang crisis in our city. The the prime minister came to the lower mainland two weeks ago. Um, He's the same prime minister that's speaks out when there's gun violence in the city of Toronto or in Fredericton. Gun violence is gun violence. Um, why was he silent in the Lower Mainland? He's now coming on, I think, the weekend of September 5th or 6th uh, for a fundraising dinner in Surrey. We look forward to see, is he going to be quiet or is he going uh, to be standing up on, on this issue and be consistent? You mentioned uh, off the top as well, uh, parents and the fact that this is an issue that there's not one particular thing, which is the solution. There's no one step that can be taken and suddenly things have been fixed. How much of an issue is that, though? And this has been discussed at the Wake Up Surrey rallies and such is in some cases, not all cases, but in some cases, parents not asking, where did that fancy car come from? Where are you going at two in the morning? Who are those friends you're hanging out with? And parents not really being involved and noticing or, or wanting to notice that perhaps their children are going down that path? Um, 
Jill, I, I was born in this great country, but I've also had the opportunity to go to uh, Punjab uh, and uh, see the politics of that state and that region and how uh, society has decayed. Uh, in, in the state of Punjab, uh, the, there's been a social decay there. It's, it's now it's big money that talks. Uh, people, the same mindset has come here, unfortunately, where big money, um, uh, fancy cars, and uh, there's a time in, uh, in the state of Punjab where academics and intellectuals were at the forefront of our city, of our, of our culture and our society. Now the same um, things are happening here because the mentality is the same. And what we've seen, we've been very strong in it within our own community that there's a social disconnect, that there's a social decay. And that's why we're even exposing some of our political leaders, that they, you know, there's a time when our elders came here, they had to fight for the right to vote. So when we had, you know, public service should mean just photo ops. It should mean um, a commitment to be the best parliamentarians or MLAs you can be. And... So everyone's got to roll up their sleeves, including parents. Uh, we're working very, our South Asian media has been consistently raising this issue um, the last 11 weeks, and I applaud them for this. Um, we're not uh, stepping away from that responsibility. My personal kids are, personally, from my end, my, my kids are fine, but all of those kids who have passed away are our kids too. All of those kids who are have made the wrong choice are our kids too. So we... We understand this is, uh, there's no magic formula, but we need everybody to step forward with sincerity. Um, there's got to be a, a, an overhaul of our school district and their approach. It can't just be reactionary when kids get into this at-risk lifestyle. It's got to be pre- preventative from grade three and four. That's how serious this is right now. Um, our community leaders got to stop valuing people, uh, developers, etc. They've got to be valued valuing more academics and, and the meaning of social good. So there's got to be a change there too, Jill. What do you do next? Uh, you mentioned uh, more politicians coming to visit. Uh, what do you do next to, to get action with this? Uh, we've got a principals meeting on, on Monday evening. Um, South Asian principals and teachers and counselors in our community have come forward. So there's many good things happening. This morning we're meeting with um, members of Fraser Health. Um, every day we've got five to seven meetings uh, with various stakeholders who are coming out and wanting to that see that there could be some positive change here. On September 8th, we're going to meet with all of our stakeholders who have um, been a great part of this, uh, given their expertise. We're having a, a, a last roundtable with them. We're going to publish our, our final report on around September 15th, and then we're going to Ottawa. Uh, Andrew Shear's committed to meet with us. Uh, Jagmeet Singh is committed to meet with us. And if you think about it, the Prime Minister should be meeting with us if we're looking at the leadership of the Federal Liberal Party. if he's, We're not going to beg anyone. It's for them to decide if it's important for them. Um, but we're going to be on their tails because, um, you know, when $326 million Joe was announced last November, in that same statement, Ralph Cadell said in the first year, we're going to put $100 million into those cities. Well, we're at the end of August now. <laughs> we haven't seen a dime. All right. So well, that, sorry, yeah. go ahead. But we also want to thank the mainstream media. Stations such as NW have been consistent in highlighting this issue and consistent because we do have a gun violence crisis in our city. 
We need to continue this awareness. We can't afford for another child to be killed or or kids to to be lured into this gang gang, uh, activity. All right, uh, Suki, we'll leave it there. We're out of time, but uh, I know we will talk to you again about this. Thank you so much for joining us to bring us up to date this morning. Thank you so much. And in closing, also our um, condolences to the family of of Senator McCain. He was uh, somebody who stood for values, stood for principles throughout his uh, political life and is a role model for many. As hundreds of wildfires burn across the province, there is a renewed call for more funding for something called fire brigades, which isn't as big as it might sound. And things have changed over the past year or so when it comes to that kind of funding. Joining us on the line to talk a bit more about that is John Ranta. He is the district chair of the Thompson-Nicola Regional District, also the mayor of Cash Creek. Mayor Ranta, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Talk a little bit about this. Certainly, we've been paying a lot of attention to the wildfires that have been burning in B.C. this summer. And coming up at the UBCM, there's going to be talk about the future of wildfire fighting and a lot about the prevention of wildfires as well. What do you think needs to be done as far as mitigation? Well, the Thompson-Nicola Regional District submitted a resolution to the UBCM convention that will be considered uh, early in September that uh, basically asked for the province to implement another one of George Abbott's recommendations in his uh, review of the 2017 wildfire season, and that is to fund the rural and and First Nations fire departments because what's happened, the the I think it was the office, the fire commissioner, put in place something called the playbook that specifies uh, the training standards and the equipment standards for fire departments, regardless of the size of the fire department. And so we had uh, legal opinion at the TNRD that uh, sort of determined that if we fund at any level these uh, fire brigades, sort of ad hoc groups of people that have a tidy tank in the back of a pickup truck and, you know, do a good job of responding to wildfires. If we fund those brigades at any level, it puts the regional district liable if there is something happens, a firefighter gets injured or something, and uh, uh, the liability associated with it could amount to the millions of dollars. So what the board decided to do reluctantly was uh, stop funding at any level these rural brigades, and we did take on a process that resulted in five different uh, small fire departments uh, going to referendum in the service area, and all those five referenda passed, and uh, so we have another five departments that will be falling under the TNRD's jurisdiction so that those firefighters will receive adequate training and equipment uh, in order to respond to wildfires. However, the, the departments, the small ad hoc brigades that used to get a small amount of funding, uh, the board decided to stop funding them. And basically what our resolution is asking the province to do is pick up the swag so that those small uh, departments can continue to operate 
because without funding from the regional district, uh, the province needs to step in to ensure that they can still provide the valuable service that they have been providing to prevent wildfire spreading in the rural area. Uh, and are these, when we talk about the, the small fire brigades, and you, you described it a little bit, are, are we talking about citizens who uh, take it upon themselves to do this kind of work? That's right. That's right. Uh, they're they're unorganized. They they uh, you know many of them do really valuable work. They they train together. They meet together. Uh, however, they don't meet the standards that are specified in the playbook for training and equipment. They uh, they do a great job and they do what they can in the rural area. And in many cases, they prevent uh, a small fire from sp- spreading. Uh, however, uh, with the with the new rules and regulations identified in the playbook, we weren't able to continue to fund those little brigades at any level. So uh, they were suggesting to us, and we met with them, uh, and they were suggesting this is going to kill them, and they're going to stop providing the service. I hope it was uh, more of a, a and a threat to try and convince us to keep funding them. But uh, what we've responded with is this resolution to suggest that the province actually implement one of the recommendations uh, in the Abbott report to fund rural brigades to a certain level. Uh, Is it bureaucracy getting in the way of things? Because it sounds like if liability (laughs) is the issue, uh, is it it not just shifting liability then the province then would pick up the tab if somebody gets injured? Uh, well, that's a, a very real possibility, and I'm sure the province would look at that quite closely. Uh, however, you know, bureaucracy often does appear to get in the way of uh, progress for people. And, uh, you know, it certainly wasn't our intention to uh, withdraw service from the public. We recognize that the brigades are providing a valuable service, but we don't want to put the broader tax base at risk by uh, accepting liability unnecessarily. Uh, even though it would be. Has it been an issue in the past, brigades, uh, these uh, citizens becoming injured or, be, or, or suing because they've been injured and wanting compensation? It has happened, and that's what our legal advice told us, that uh, lawsuits associated with potentially the unfortunate death of a volunteer firefighter who hasn't received the adequate training or didn't have the appropriate equipment, that can amount to millions of dollars on each incident. So uh, unfortunately, we chose to uh, withdraw funding for those brigades. Uh, is it beyond the, the possibility then to perhaps require people, citizens, uh, saying if you want to be a brigade, uh, one-person show or two- or three-person show, you have to have the proper training or at least some level of training? Well, yeah, we that that's basically what the playbook says. You've got to have a certain level of training and whatnot. But if you go to uh, some... A rancher or farmer who's living in the rural area and saying, oh, you've got to go for training on a weekly basis and all that sort of thing and, and show up for fire practices and whatnot, uh, it's it's uh, asking a volunteer a little too much. Basically, what they are are public-minded citizens that uh, do whatever they can to help their neighbors uh, selflessly 
and uh, you know they don't want to be burdened with having regular meetings and practices and all that sort of thing that fire departments actually participate in, and we're grateful for the participation of volunteers and volunteer fire departments. But uh, the brigades, they they potentially could fall apart if you insisted on having a certain level of training in accordance with the playbook requirements. Mm. How much funding are we talking about? Not very much. Just a few thousand dollars exposes the region to uh, considerable liability. And and we did go to referenda. I think I mentioned uh, on five different departments, all those referenda passed. And uh, the minimum cost of providing a fire service in a specified area in the rural area is a minimum of $150,000 annually. So the people in that, in those service areas recognize the value of the service and they're willing to pay through taxation to raise the minimum 150000 But in some other areas where you've only got a handful of people uh, having the equipment and the training, which would still cost $150,000, is un- it's unaffordable for the handful of people that the service provides. Uh, does this point us uh, or, or point to a bigger issue as well when we talk about mitigation, and especially uh, in smaller communities, more rural communities, uh, preventing these fires or making sure we're fighting and doing as much as we can to to uh, minimize the damage when they do start? Yeah, yeah, it it certainly is a problem, and I think uh, the prime minister, when he was here in British Columbia, recognized the challenge and and spoke to it, I think, on Vancouver Island when he was there. And uh, Premier Horgan is well aware of the problem as well. And it's just a matter of uh, one or other levels of government putting in place the necessary funding identified in the Abbott report in order to ensure that the rural fire brigades have sufficient funds to uh, do the work that they selflessly do. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about this uh, at the UBCM uh, and in the days and weeks to come. Uh, John Ranta, thanks so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Okay, you bet, Jill. You have a good day. Talking about Vernon, and Vernon City Council has voted in favor, although one of the councillors has changed his mind, to ban homeless shopping carts. And that would be a ban on shopping carts on public property. And it is getting a lot of attention. Not everybody agrees with this. We were chatting with a lawyer with BC Civil Liberties saying that this is an abuse. It is targeting homeless residents, and it's really not going to solve the problem when it comes to homelessness in that city or any city, really. So my question is to you, what do you think about this idea of banning shopping carts? Are you a consumer fed up with the theft of shopping carts and the loss of that being passed on to you? Or do you think more along the lines of if you're homeless and everything you own is in this cart, it's okay to turn a blind eye to the theft and understand that somebody is in not such a great place in life and this is the one thing they have. Let's check in with Laura Lee in Vancouver. Good morning. Good morning, thanks. Um, I think that the councillors of Vernon need to do a compassion check. I really question where they're coming from on this. And I'm not a religious person, but we were always raised with the thought that there but for the grace of God go I. And it could be their brother, their sister, their parent that's out on the street. And society really needs to quit looking through these people as though they're invisible and pay attention to them and help them. 
give them a hand up, and then they'll take it from there. And I guess, too, and I get completely what you're saying. I I do wonder, though, and maybe people can call in if they uh, agree with this, but maybe it's getting to the point in some areas where you think that there are city services, there are places to go, there are many agencies, there's no shortage of agencies to help people. But if you continually get your car broken into, get your locks broken, get your window smashed, get your bike stolen, there comes a point where people get fed up with that. Well, also, though, I mean, I'm on the downtown east side about three times a week taking food down. Choices Market's been giving me boxes for over 16 years. And we're talking a couple of thousand boxes a year. It's a lot. The people down there are so grateful. Many of them have been beaten down so far by society that they don't think they deserve anything. They don't seek out the social services because they just don't feel worthy of the help. And Their faces just light up when they go, my goodness, you're down here because we matter? We've never mattered before. So I just, I think that we need to be helping people and solving homelessness instead of building stupid bike lanes and everything else. And uh, really put put some love and empathy into people. A right. better world. All right, Laura Lee, thank you for that. Thanks for that phone call. Let's check in with Troy on the open line. Troy, what are your thoughts? Uh, first off, hi, Jill. Um, this is all wrong. Um, this is really unenforceable. Um, you're not going to be able to ask municipal workers such as bylaw to enforce this by giving tickets and removing carts. They're not going to be able to do it. For one, you're putting them at risk. And two... How are they going to move these things around? I, I don't understand. They haven't come up with a, a solution to actually getting the cards back. Retailers obviously have to do something better. But you have to come up with a solution to the problem before you start banning things. And it seems to me they haven't. And it's just another excuse to pick on people that don't have anything. And it, I, I feel sorry for them. I really do. All right. Um, and I... I, I honestly think that if they do go ahead with this, they're going to go through a lot of bylaw people. Yeah, and I tend to, uh, thanks for the call, I tend to agree. What uh, w- Trying to picture that scenario of somebody walking down the street with a shopping cart, he or she has possessions in the cart, they're on public property, do you get a bylaw fine? And if so, what's the point of even doing that? Do you think that person's going to pay the ticket? What do you do? Do you haul the cart away from the person? It doesn't seem like there's a scenario where, you, and I agree with Troy, that the, the consequences will at all unfold the way uh, maybe City Council has envisioned. Uh, last call goes to Bob in Vancouver. Bob, what are your thoughts? Hi. Uh, first of all, I lost, I've lost family members to uh, drug overdoses, death. And I've got a sister-in-law that's a lifelong drug addict. I was just at a funeral where a friend of mine's mother passed away and his younger brother was there. And he's on the street as we speak. Uh, I don't think the bylaw would be enforced by the police. I understand what they're trying to do in the municipality. Uh, But, you know, somehow, as you suggested, there are many, many agencies that help these people. A lot of them, they just don't follow through. And as far as the first caller that said uh, society's come down on these people, trust me, society has not come down on these people at all. My family members that have had the problems create their own trouble, and they just can't say no. It's time that we held them accountable, asked for more, and perhaps we should offer what they have in Florida, where three family members sign a uh, 
a, a state legislated document that uh, allows actual for enforced uh, uh, apprehension and drug treatment. It, it, we're, we've gone the other way too long. The Gregor Robertsons, the Gene Swansons, they're poverty pimps. They make a living out of this. It's an industry for them, and we've t- it's time to go the other way. Thank you, Jill. Always nice having you on the air. Well, as I mentioned, uh, the civic elections, not too, too far away. They are coming up in October. So we are going to spend some time during the next few weeks on Sunday mornings taking a look at some of the more interesting races. Not that they all aren't, uh, wherever you live. That is probably the most interesting race, but we're going to take a look at the bigger cities, the bigger areas in the province. And as we know, there are a number of mayors who are not running again. So there will be a change in leadership in many, many municipalities and cities. Uh, One of those is not Burnaby. However, in Burnaby, Mayor Derek Corrigan is hoping to remain. He is going to be seeking re-election, hoping to win his sixth, yes, sixth election in that city. Uh, joining us now to talk about some of the issues in Burnaby is Kelvin Golly. He is a reporter with the Burnaby Now. Kelvin, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Oh, thanks for, ha- thanks for having me. Uh, I guess not a huge surprise that Derek Corgan wants to stay on and hope is hoping to win his sixth election. Uh, what do you think, though? What are you hearing as far as in the community and uh, leading up to the election, his chances? Um, I mean, if you look at the results from the, the previous elections, um, you know, he's, he's won, as you said, five times and he's going for number six. And, but he's, he's won quite handily each time. So as far as what I hear from people, there, there's a fair amount of people who don't like him and don't like his leadership style. Um, and they're quite vocal and, and getting that message out there. But it seems when it comes down to it, the, the general population, or at least the 20 percent or so of people that vote, um, seem to actually like uh, Derek Corgan and the uh, Burnaby Citizens Association. Uh, things uh, have certainly been focused a lot on Kinder Morgan in that community and Derek Corgan's uh, opposition to it. How do you think that's going to play in on the civic vote? Um, yeah, I think that it's definitely going to be a, a, an issue. Uh, the sort of the, the parties that are um, you know opposing Corrigan and the BCA are have certainly made an issue of it. Not so much uh, as uh, you know being different in opposing the pipeline, um, but sort of criticizing Corrigan for um, spending money, uh, taxpayers' dollars, on fighting these court battles. Do you get the sense as well, and uh, I live in Vancouver, and I often wonder why my civic government isn't doing the things that they're supposed to do, whether it's maintaining parks and streetlights and picking up garbage and doing the things that they're not sexy and exciting, but they are the things that civic governments do. Uh, Is there a sense of that in Burnaby as well, in that uh, they're fighting a federal pipeline and looking at issues that aren't the everyday issues of a civic government? Yeah, that's definitely the criticism that that, that comes with this. You know, uh, I think if you were to ask Corrigan, he would say, you know, they see it as their duty to, you know, fight this every way that they can. Uh, I spoke to Corrigan about this uh, just the other day when Burnaby um, had its uh, case dismissed from the Supreme Court of Canada. And he said, you know, even though he expected that case not to go uh, to be successful, he sees it as his duty not only to 
um, fight this pipeline, but he also believes that it's um, his duty to sort of make these fights and try to assert and get some precedent as far as municipalities actually having more rights to have power over these types of things. And I, I found it interesting, too, when he was talking, and he's talked publicly to a few different places about that, when asked the question on how much it costs taxpayers, I don't know if you got a better answer, but the answer I keep hearing from him is it wasn't overly expensive, but I have yet to actually hear the dollar figure. Um, yeah, no, I uh, just uh, last week, um, I asked him that question, and um, I asked him repeatedly, and he said he didn't know what the dollar figure was, and, and I told him, oh, what about a, a rough estimate? Is it, is it more or less than a million dollars, I asked, and he, he wouldn't answer that either. He just said he didn't know. I asked him to, to find out for me, but uh, we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, he's facing competition this time around from a retired Burnaby firefighter, uh, Mike Hurley, who wants that job as well. And uh, there is a bit of a shift as far as endorsements. Uh, the New Westminster and District Labour Council, uh, which is based in Burnaby, is supporting Mike Hurley. They have in the past supported uh, Corrigan. Does that show a bit of a shift in the landscape? Yeah, I think it does. I, I, I think um, for some folks, um, they've become, you know, I guess tired of Vera Corrigan and the BCA perhaps. I think, you know, what was really controversial and I think was mostly led to that was their policies around dem evictions in the metro town area. Um, and that's yeah, that, that, that's why they seem to be uh, to be backing uh, Mike Hurley. And and is that one of the key issues? Do you think, or, or what are the issues that you're hearing from people that will come into play when they cast ballots in the civic election? Yeah, well, I think looking at races in the region in general, um, most places the you know the, the issues are housing, housing, and housing, and that's no different here for the most part. I think, um, but yeah, if it's more specifically about these dem evictions and these policies that have allowed for these uh, affordable rental buildings to be demolished to make room for the the new towers in the metro town area. Uh, Which is also uh, interesting in that it was just a few weeks ago when uh, Burnaby and the mayor was talking about how great it was that there was a change in the provincial uh, legislation that now allows them to build rental only zones and they're going forward as the first city uh, to do that. Yeah, so, you know, that's one of those things. It depends on who you ask. If you ask uh, Corrigan and the BCA, they'll tell you that, you know, they they fought to have the right for this power for a long time, and now they are they were eager and the first ones to use it, um, or at least to try to use it. Uh, but their critics will tell a different story. They'll say that they've been very stubborn um, in recent years and, and holding the course on these policies while many people have been displaced and that they could have done uh, something else rather than just go forward with the dem evictions. Uh, geographically speaking, uh, how does Burnaby fit in as far as getting along with its neighbours? Uh, the same, same issues, I would imagine, when it comes to housing and such. But uh, with Burnaby and uh, when we refer to the Tri-Cities or when we talk about uh, the, those areas, Burnaby, New Westminster, uh, Poco, Coquitlam and such, uh, how, how do they, I don't, I don't know if it's an identity or how does Burnaby kind of fit in in that region? Yeah, I mean, I'm new in, in Burnaby myself. I've just been working here for about three months now. So I'm still trying to um, figure out where Burnaby uh, stands as far as that goes. I do get the sense that Burnaby doesn't necessarily have the same sense of identity and, and community as, as other communities, especially compared to a place like New West, just because it, it sort of occupies this space in between. 
Um, so I think, and I think that actually contributes to uh, less engagement on, on the civic level and, and lower um, than average uh, turnout, just because it, you know, it doesn't have that center, it doesn't have that downtown, although they're trying to make uh, Metrotown that sort of core. So I, uh, my sense, at least, is that it maybe isn't uh, as strong an identity uh, of a community as, as some of its neighbors. And I do wonder, and maybe this will unfold or this will become more clear leading up to the elections or as we talk more about it, but you're right, because even looking at some of the other areas, uh, such as Port Moody, which uh, seems to attract younger families, uh, their breweries, they seem to have been, been making a downtown core or in the city itself rather than, say, being a commuter town to Vancouver or having to go somewhere else to have your downtown core, whereas we don't see the same type of shift in Burnaby. Yeah, and I even thought that because um, just this, uh, this month, Burnaby had its first ever Pride event, which to me, you know, being new here, I was surprised that that hadn't happened before. But I think for a lot of people living in Burnaby, they don't maybe didn't notice the lack of a Pride event because they just see themselves as sort of an extension of Vancouver or, or maybe vice versa. Maybe, uh, you know, they go to New West, which has also had a Pride event for a long time. And uh, I think that's, uh, that's all sort of part of this sort of identity that Burnaby has as sort of this place in between other places. Uh, what else will you be covering then uh, leading up to the election? Uh, I think they're going to be here quicker than uh, we think. It, October seems so far away, but it's really, really not. Uh, what else will be on uh, on your uh, mind? Uh, on your what will you be covering? Ooh, uh, <laughs> there's a lot coming. Um, you know, just yesterday uh, it was my day off, but one of my colleagues covered um, the Burnaby First Coalition um, sort of launched their campaign, so they're going to be running full slates. Um, for council and school board and a mayoral candidate. So I'll be certainly looking to, to talk to them and see what, what their vision is for the city. And then Mike Curley, of course, and, and the Green Party. And we've got one independent so far. So uh, the race is shaping up pretty well. And I'm, I'm imagining we're going to get a few more people in the coming weeks. So it's, yeah, it's really just a matter of, of talking to these individuals and, and hearing what their plans and their visions are for the city. And uh, the big question is, is will their message be strong enough to convince people to turn away from the BCA, which has been, you know, one heck of a, a dynasty here that's held on to power for a long time. Mm-hmm. Does the Burnaby First Party, I know they just launched, as you said yesterday, but do they appear to have a bit of a different path that they're taking? Well, I spoke to their uh, one of their members uh, a couple weeks ago before they made this campaign launch, and he said their plan is is really just to be a centrist party and and to just shoot right up the middle and and you know try to present a, a moderate vision for the city. Um, but time will tell whether or not that connects with people. All right, uh, more to come leading up to the elections in October. Kelvin, thank you so much for joining us today and bringing us a glimpse of Burnaby. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks a lot.